Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Tuesday, Takes on Takes edition of the show. Kyle, welcome. Hello, Joe. Back in my home office, a little less chaotic than yesterday. Woke up in my own bed this morning. It was great. Yeah, sorry for any... uh... Lacking audio quality yesterday, we did the best we can to get you a podcast, and uh, Kyle was remote, so it was what it was, but today we're back, it's tw- it's takes on takes, we've got a lot of good stuff, you guys are trying to poke us a little bit, we'll try to navigate through it, and um, the big question is, do you want the first one, or do you want to give me the first one? Uh, let's see, I need to read the first one. <laughs> oh. Why don't you take this one because I don't want to get into a uh, conflict, conflict <laughs> of interest here. All right. Is this a poke? Was this a poke? There's a lot okay. of pokes. There's a lot of pokes. This may be a poke, but we'll deal with it. There's um, there's a, a lot of receipts trying to be cashed after yep. week three. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Joe, here you go. This is from Doctor. Remember Doctor from last week because I thought it was ridiculous that his name is just Doctor. I think you've said that for like four or five weeks in a row now. Doctor. Not even Doctor spelled out, just DR period. I respect it. One year removed from throwing only seven interceptions, Matt Ryan will lead the league in interception and be the sole reason why the Falcons <laughs> miss the playoffs. So he's got six already for three, three, three Holy games. Holy cow, he's got six? He's got six already, yeah. I stand for this guy. I tell you, he's a Hall of Famer. I go all in on how great he's been, and this guy rewards me with six interceptions, a 4.9% interception percentage. That's not Matt Ryan. That's not characteristic of Matt Ryan. If there's anything I've learned from talking to Kyle Krabs about football every day for the last 100 years of my life, it is that regression to the mean is a real thing, and it works both ways. And, you know, look, this is a guy that doesn't historically – he's thrown seven interceptions in two of the last three years. He's not going to just explode for 20, 25 interceptions this year. So give me Matt Ryan not leading the league in interceptions, and they will miss the, the playoffs. Oh, well, yeah, take the field. But they're going to miss the playoffs, but Matt Ryan's not going to be the sole reason why. Uh, I think the offensive line injuries – are going to matter. I think inconsistent pass rush is going to be a big issue. And of course, Keanu Neal, right? Injured again. Yeah. I mean, it's um, the, the misfortune of this football team is is certainly growing. And uh, it's not going to be just Matt Ryan as the sole reason, because I just gave you like three other ones. It feels like that window's kind of shutting down a little bit, doesn't it? <sighs> I guess. But, but, I, only because there's so many durability issues now with this roster. Right, but and Matt Ryan ain't one of them. This dude started like 170-something straight games. Well, also leading the league in interceptions after three weeks. Yeah, so well, they, they play all 16 of them, and that's when uh, we can talk about <laughs> league leaders. All right, here we go. At Dennis SK, the Los Angeles Chargers, Chargers 1 and 2, are going to bounce back and win the next five games. Week 4 at Miami. Week 5 versus the Broncos. Week 6 versus the Steelers. Week 7 at Tennessee. Week 8 at the Bears. Kyle, 
are the uh, the the Chargers about to be six and two? He lost me at the Bears game in Chicago. Tough defense. Chargers offensive line is problematic. Let's put it that way. And uh, I think the Bears pass rush between Eddie Goldman and, and Akeem and, and Khalil Mack and Leonard. Like, I think they'll get after Phil a little bit. Uh, but as far as Dolphins week four, yes, that's a win. Broncos week five, yes, that's a win. Steelers week six, yes, that's a win. Titans, I think the Chargers are a better football team than the Titans, so give me a win there. But I think anytime you get hot like that, like, and then you got to go on the road in Chicago against a tough pass rush that doesn't match up well with one of your weakest areas on your roster, give me 4-0 and in the next four, but not 5-0 and in the next five. So 5-3 and three after eight games. I mean, that's yeah, okay. Fine. Yeah. They're fine. They're absolutely fine. Uh, I was surprised that they let the Texans game get away from them the way that they did. But Houston has some playmakers and defensively Whitley Merciless has done a tremendous job stepping into the Jadavion Clowney spot on the defense. So not a bad loss for them. Uh, take from Mr. Thick Boy, thick with two C's. The slot receiver should have its own rankings and Devin DuVernay from Texas would be the number one ranked slot. Hashtag takes on takes. And this is a, this is a fun one. Duvernay's been killing it uh, through four games, 39 catches, 377 yards, four touchdowns. And it's interesting because he's kind of known for his speed and his vertical ability, but he's becoming a more complete player this year. 5'11", 210. I like the way he slapped together. I think he's going to be a good NFL slot. Um, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of great receiver prospects this year, so I'm not going to sit here and say he's the number one slot because if you want to tell me Ruggs is a slot or Judy's a slot or whatever you want to go with, I don't think they they strictly are. But uh, I think it, it, the overall point here being that Duvernay is a really nice prospect and he's showing a very complete skill set this year and he's one of the best slot receivers in the country. Kind of an interesting build for a slot guy, though, isn't he? Five ten yeah. two, or five ten two ten five eleven two ten. Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess I don't understand exactly why more aren't built that way. Like, what? Why not? Right? You're asked to do a lot of things where yards after the catch matter, working over the middle of the field. Like, why not have some thickness about yourself? You know who he? You know who his build kind of reminds me of? Josh Reed. No, this is a throwback. Not not throw throwback for us as draft guys. Um, that kid from Baylor. Yeah. What was his name? Antoine Goodley. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and Goodley was 5'10", 209, ran 444, decent explosiveness numbers, played in the big 12 with that spread offense with, with Bryles at Baylor. Uh, I think Duvernay has got a much higher ceiling, but just kind of just like watching him in the open field, watching him pinball off would be tacklers, and watching him get so much space to work in the Big 12, it kind of was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, kind of reminds me of the way some people thought, like, Antoine Goodley was going to be able to roll at the next level. All right, this one uh, comes from Cameron Spencer. I like this take. It says, given the landscape of quality interior defenders across the NFL, and he rips off a bunch, Donald, Jones, Jarrett, Clark, Atkins, Pierce, Short, Buckner, Hicks, just to name a few, we are currently witnessing the golden age of interior defensive linemen. I don't know if I'm well enough versed on the history of if 
interior defensive lineman in the league to say whether this is a fair statement or not. Joe, do you have any input yeah, here? I, I do. I do because I, I over the summer, I, I was given the defensive tackle big board, the all-time one yeah, uh, for the draft network. And um, I had kind of lasered this into like my, the ones I've seen play football, like since probably like, I don't know, mid nineties and forward. Yeah. And I had Cortez Kennedy on the list. And no disrespect to Cortez Kennedy. Like, seriously, good football player. Sounds like you're about to disrespect Cortez Kennedy. <laughs> He's the number five guy that I can come come up with since 1995 or something like that. Like, I, I mean, some of the the classic good defensive tackles are, like, from the 70s and uh, Steelers guys and, and, and Cowboys right, players. Hold, stuff on, like- hold on, hold on, hold on. Where was uh, Warren Sapp on that list? Hi. He was up there. He was in the top five. Where was Julius Randle on that list? Top five. Yeah, and then it's like Cortez Kennedy. I'm telling you, this is a good take. He's absolutely right. We are in the golden age of interior defensive line. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, because stylistically, these guys are no longer just 350-pound tanks clogging up space in the middle of their defense to defend the run. John Henderson? Right. Well, I mean, John Henderson might not have been a good pull, but like Ted Washington, right, like Pat Williams – uh, you know, he's big, uh, Tony Saragusa, you know, Goose. yeah, those guys, those guys yeah. don't have a place in the NFL. These guys are athletic a guys. That, a, a little bit of a different archetype for an athlete. Totally different. Now. Yeah. They're making plays, right? They're not just occupying blocks so the second level can get downhill. It's, they're, they're making plays. They're different types of players. They're more productive than ever before. And so from from that perspective, yeah. Now we go put these guys back in the eighties and ask them to, to stack up the run. They, they might get pushed out of the way a little bit, right? No, because those offensive linemen were tiny. Well, it's just there were a, it's guys a, in the eighties playing at two fifty. You're right about that. It's, but it's the evolution of the game and the way that these guys are impacting. It seems more significant today than those tanks that were. I have just a follow up take. Yeah. If I were going to cast a movie, a superhero movie with like the Avengers or the Justice League, and all I could pull from was NFL players, I think every single superhero that I would pick would come from the offensive and defensive line. Just Herculean human beings, right? Aaron Donald think- is is six foot, 300 or 285, 290 pounds with like a 12-pack. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. DeForest Buckner, just totally yoked. Who's the offensive lineman in this group? Tyron Smith? Tyron Smith's definitely up there. Um, Quentin Nelson. <laughs> Just like, he'd be like the juggernaut. Just don't get in his way. I wouldn't. But that's my follow-up take. All right, so what happens? You want the next one here? Because I kind of took that one. Yeah, give it to me anyway. All right. Vontel. Yeah, this is uh, Vic, Vic Fangio was by far the worst head coach hire in the offseason. We we had a little personal conversation about this last night. Uh, for, based on what he was supposed to be versus what the Broncos are getting for their money. Yes, I think this is true. Vic Fangio was supposed to come in here as a defensive coach. And he was supposed to help provide stability and make this a quote unquote safe team. And Vic Fangio, for all of his defensive genius, having two very good pass rushers in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb at his disposal, 
Team hasn't logged a sack yet. Team's 0-3. Brought in a veteran quarterback in Joe Flacco to go along for the ride so that they can you know, hand the ball off 30 times a game, ask Joe to throw it 20 times. and uh, That hasn't worked out either. And Fangio, it just seems like they're really struggling to get their footing, and I don't know if it's uh, kind of a a struggle with the system where it's Fangio's trying to change so much to get what his vision for what the team should look like playing defense and, and the players aren't used to it. And there's some chemistry issues there or what? I don't know what it is, but like Fangio was an old head coach hire. He doesn't, he doesn't have 10 years to turn around. <laughs> you know, he's supposed to come in and win now and they're in win now mode. Cause they brought Joe Flacco. And I just want to revisit Last January and February, I cast some criticism at John Elway as a general manager. I don't think right. he does a very good job. Here's what we got to do, Kyle. This is what we got to do. There's okay, eight. Okay. There's eight head coaches that were hired this offseason. Okay. And, and you tell me Vic Fangio's the baseline. You say better or worse. I'll give you each one of them. Okay, very good. Let's go. All right. First one, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff's better. Zach Taylor. Oh, definitely better. I think that offense has been a pleasant surprise, even though they're kind of handcuffed with, with injuries right now. Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> this is probably a push right now. Matt LaFleur. Definitely better. Brian Flores. They were supposed to suck. I'm fine with it. Yeah, there's nothing There's nothing to gather from there. No, I like Brian Flores. No. Here's one. Ready for this? Adam Gase. <laughs> You're thinking about it. Yeah, I know, but, but Darnold's got mono. Like... <laughs> How could you possibly plan for your quarterback? You can't. Your second year quarterback to get kissing disease as like a 24 year old second year player in the NFL. This has happened like once in the entire history of the NFL before. I'm not saying Adam, Dar- Adam Gase was a bad hire because Sam Darnold got mono, man. This I'm guy's just a clown. He is a clown, but at the same time, I think if Darnold's there, they're probably not so abysmal that we're like, holy shit, the Jets <laughs> might get the first pick. All right, so better or worse, I think Vic Fangio's a better hire. We know who Adam Gase is, at least. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, last one. This one's easy. Bruce Arians. Bruce is better. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns, two-minute drives, running backs, racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL. There's no way to make, There's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. Do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. My bookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where you should, too. We wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and try to win a lot, use a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. I took advantage of that. Use promo code Locked On to activate the offer. That's promo code Locked On. Visit mybookie.ag today. You win, you play, you get paid. We'll be right back after this for more of your takes. Well, Kai, you got to get this take right. Like this, this yeah, one's for feed you. Him. Feed it here. Him. It is <laughs> from Cameron Spencer. <laughs> good. This is a good thing. Kyle has some of the dumbest Twitter followers because they presumably follow him for football content, but also constantly accuse him of not watching football. (laughs) Hashtag morons. 
Hashtag takes on takes. Kyle, are you going to take a shit on your audience? I don't know why some people follow me. I know there are substantial amount of folks that do follow me for football takes. I'd imagine there's some that are here for the meltdown of the Dolphins 2019 season. Um, but come like, just read the bio, read the Twitter handle before you accuse me of not watching football, just because I said something that you did not agree with or hurt your feelings because of your favorite team, which I'm sure we'll get into the 49ers here before the end of the show. Take from Mitch. We were wrong about Darren Waller. He is a top 10 tight end in the NFL. Hashtag takes on takes. <laughs> what does he have? Like 13 catches last week. Uh, he's got 26 catches for 267 yards so far this year. No touchdowns. Um, he's playing. I mean, he's he's been a big, big, big part of that offense. Big part of that team that's not really playing that well. But uh, he's certainly producing. There's no question about it. I mean, I'd have to stack him up and figure it out. Um, but I mean, his production so far this year has been really good. And I feel like you were the guy that was crapping on Darren Waller. Well, so. and listen, it's because if you want to make a bold prediction and say Darren Waller will be a breakout player, that's fine. But you can't possibly go into the season and say Darren Waller right now definitively is a top 10 tight end. When he came into the year with how many receptions? Uh, I think 44, including this year. He had. um... Yeah, he came into this year with 18 receptions in four years. Yeah. All right. So there you go. So, like, I don't have a problem with you being like, yo, Darren Waller's going to have a great opportunity this year. I think this is certainly exacerbated by Antonio Brown getting off the roster two days before the start of the season. His opportunity and market share grew substantially. He's a great athlete. We've known he's a great athlete. But for David Carr to say before the season started, hey, Darren Waller's a top 10 tight end in the NFL right now. It's like, okay, well, he caught four balls in the last two years. Or I'm sorry, six balls in the last two years. I just thought it was premature. Now, he has to finish too, right? Like Waller's had some durability issues throughout his career, was a convert from wide receiver coming out of Georgia Tech. So I don't think this thing's locked and loaded. And again, that's kind of where I feel like a lot of these receipt dunks are right now. And and Mitch didn't really try and dunk on us because he said we were wrong on Darren Waller. But, you know, let's let's again, it's week three. There's a lot that can change in 13 weeks. Yeah, Kyle, I think you made a good point there about finishing, right? Like um, season evolves, right? Teams figure out your tendencies, what, how they like to use players. And at that point, do they continue to be productive, right? That's a big measuring stick. I talked to an NFL scout one time and they said, if you want to know growth from players, watch the division games, right? Like yeah. watch that first division game, watch the second division game, watch them year over year to see how a team that's most familiar with that player, knowing how to stop them, and does it happen? And same thing with from the college side. If you want to measure growth, watch conference games year over year. That's going to be your best ways to see how players grow. And you got to be careful about crowning anyone at this point in the year. Let's see how they look next time they play Denver, per se. All right. This one's for me, you. Uh, let's see here. Uh, you took You took Darren Waller. No, you took it. No, I did. I don't remember. I took Kyle has some of the dumbest followers. You took Darren Waller. So All right, so I'm this one. <laughs> sports Nut. All right, Sports Nut has this one. Um, 
with the emergence of other quarterbacks such as Eason and Burrow making this quarterback class strong, Fromm comes back for his senior season next year. I know, Joe, you subscribe to this idea very much. I've been saying it for before the year. I'm not going to argue with it because I think there is enough push from everywhere else in this class that let's take, for example, QB six this year might be better than QB three last year. Right. QB QB three was what Drew lock. Yes. Or uh, no, it was. uh, It was Haskins Haskins. It was was Jones Haskins and then lock Murray Jones Haskins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about Murray, too. I mean, so we have Tua, we have Jordan Love, we have Justin Herbert. Mm-hmm. Would you easily agree that all three of those are better than Drew Locke? Oh, yeah. Would you say all three of those are better than Dwayne Haskins? Uh, at the, not, at may, this may, point, I understand yeah. it's still very, very early. Yeah, maybe not love. Maybe not love. But he's got more tools than that. I, I mean, they're probably did, close. Love, love is more physically gifted than. No, oh, there's no, there's no question. No okay, question so then it. behind him, you're looking at guys like Jake Eason, who's been phenomenal to start the year. Right. Joe Burrow is playing lights out. Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm is probably the least or second least most gifted quarterback of all the quarterbacks I just named. And I named like seven or eight of them. See, I think it has less to do with the quarterbacks in the classes. You know, I think it's more about Jake Fromm and what he means to Georgia and how much Kirby loves him. And he has a chance to go and start again next year and lead this Georgia team. I think that matters a lot to him. Well, Jake, I got bad news for you. You're not going to win a natty and you're not going to beat Bama. Well, that's so let's just move sure. on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think he loves it. I think he's one of those guys that's just going to be in college. So, um, I mean, he's kicked out two five-star recruits, right? Yeah. Out of, I mean, do you think – I mean, to leave early? I don't know. What, when you think about 2021, is it a, it's a, it's a Fields-Lawrence conversation? Fields-Lawrence from potentially. I mean, and the guys that are going to rise – Right. The the guys that, you know, maybe whether it's Adrian Martinez in Nebraska or somebody else, like you'll get a riser out of yeah. that group too. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that I think there's enough crowd here that it might make Fromm's decision even easier yeah. to go back. Yeah. Uh, take from David Bullen. Joe Burrow's draft stock is rocketing at the moment. The game against Alabama will reverse this, eff- effectively saying – LSU will do what they do every year. They get you real excited, and then they play Bama, and Bama just puts the clamps on you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Joe Burrow's likely to have his worst game of the year against Alabama, but, I mean, I'm not one of those guys that quickly disregards everything just because of one game. Uh, even, you know, I mean, it's his best competition, but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of challenges that Alabama presents, right? Like, it's not like – it, that game doesn't define Joe Burrow, okay? If he plays really well, it gets really weird, right? But if he plays bad, then I don't think it, it's a you stick a fork in this guy and all of a sudden the sizzle's gone. So I think I think it's one of those deals like like the Senior Bowl almost, like where you can go there and not perform well and it doesn't matter. Hello, Daniel Jones, right? 
Right. But if you go there and you play really well, you know, it really can elevate you and to help yourself. I think it, I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now for 20% off your first order. Visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code locked on. We got a bunch more to get to right after this. Dolphins take, Dolphins take, Dolphins take, Dolphins take. You want this one, huh? Yeah. Trevor Jones. I actually do this one anyway, so. All right, hopefully you know what this and word then, means. And then Bill's take is next. Oh, oh, this is great. This is, wow. uh, yeah, here we go. Trevor Joseph, good friend of the pod. After producing the most elephantine tank in NFL history. It's true. Don't know what that means. Gigantic. The, oh, really? What does elephant, elephant just means big? No, but it's the root word. We need to have a conversation about this. <laughs> Elephants, the word, the root word. I've never seen it involved in any other word. Elephantine of resembling or characteristic of an elephant or elephants, especially in being large, clumsy, or awkward. Okay. It's an interesting way to describe what's happening in Miami right now. Is there an alternate definition of that? Let me see. Can I get the uh, the uh, language of origin, please? Uh, language of origin is Greek. Okay, early seventeenth century via Latin from Greek okay. word elephantinos okay. or elephas. Okay, now we're talking. Okay, this this peaked probably you know Civil War era. It's when this was most popular usage of this word. Um, there are there. I do not have an alternate definition, but I do have several synonyms which include. Enormous, huge, great, massive, giant, or immense. Terrific. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so let's get through the take here. After producing the most elephantine tank in NFL history, the Dolphins will happily draft Tua with the number one overall pick and then trade the number two pick Mm -hmm. to the Bengals to acquire Mm -hmm. more draft capital. Hashtag takes on takes. And, of course, hashtag new vocabulary for Joe. Yeah, sign me up for this because the Bengals aren't going to be picking that much further down, right? Bengals listen, will probably be a top six pick. Listen, if you get one, two, wouldn't you? I mean, you could trade I, back. I get, that's where I'm conflicted. It's like, do you want Tua and Chase Young or like Tua and Jerry Judy? But here's the thing. If I trade back to to four or five. Oh, you're getting a lot. I'm getting a lot. And I also have a pretty damn realistic chance of still getting Jerry Judy. You get a high impact player for sure. You'll get a high impact. You'll get a blue chip starter. In this draft class, you'll get a blue chip starter. Yeah. That might be Andrew Thomas to help protect your investment. It might be Tristan Wirfs. You could get A.J. Epinesa, which you know would be a, a very strong scheme fit for Miami's style of defense. What's the furthest you trade back? I think that's the question I have. Six. Okay, so if you go if you go from two to six, three to six, or was it? Yeah, it was uh, six to three. To three. Six. Six to three was three second round picks and a pick swap of three and six. Right. So, I mean, this could be a future one, like a future one and a four. I mean, this could work out good. This could, I mean, maybe even more than that. So now, now you're talking three first round picks this year and three first round picks next year, 12 months ahead of the draft. And the Dolphins need all of that, right? So, I mean, it might make sense. It's, it's not just a conversation of Chase Young. It's, 
that other high impact player plus all the uh, you know the other assets you get on a team that needs it. Right. And if you're trading the pick to the Bengals at two, the Bengals are picking a quarterback. So right, there's so at least one player. quarterback out of the way. Yeah. yeah. No, the Cardinal, if the Cardinals are picking that high, they could feasibly pick Chase Young, but they could also feasibly pick Andrew Thomas too. Yeah, so if you get to six, I mean, this is super early for this conversation. You yeah. got two quarterbacks. You've got Chase Young, Jerry Judy, Andrew Thomas. That's, and that's you five. You can you can pick the rest of the field. Right. Delpit is going to be there. Epinesa will be there. Um, Worfs will be there. Worfs, yeah. Rugs. Yes. Yeah, right. I'll sign off on this if it happens. I would not I, hate it if they just took Chase Young and be done with it. I don't know if I go further than six. Six is yeah, six is my floor. Yeah. Based on based on what we're talking about here in September. <laughs> yeah. Eight you know? at a time. <laughs> uh take from Jared Feinberg. Buffalo Bills will beat the New England Patriots at home and move to four and zero to take a division lead while Miami shocks everyone and beats the Chargers after Josh Rosen threes throws three touchdown passes. Neither of these things are happening. I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, Jared, I love you, brother. I want to believe it. But if there's anything the last 20 years of my life have conditioned me to know, it's that the Bills aren't beating Tom Brady. It's not going to happen. That's so, my, that was my favorite thing we did when we did the schedule pick them. Every time we tried to pick the Patriots to lose a game, you're like, there's no way. Patriots never lose. They never lose. It just can't happen. Come on. The Bills hadn't beat Brady in a game that he started and finished since 2011. And it was because God intervened. I mean, literally, it was angels in the outfield type shit where balls are bouncing <laughs> off guys, you know? Like the most stupid stuff I've ever seen in a football game. That's why the Bills won it. Um, I, 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 look, I, I hope the Bills beat the Patriots. I think everybody that's not a Patriots fan hopes the Bills beat the Patriots. But I, I can't. I can't. I'm not can't setting myself it. up for that. Don't, don't predict it. You'll hurt yourself. Right. And, yeah, same thing with Miami. Sorry. Uh, okay, Josh Carlson. Saints are going to take a big, a.k.a. Mark Ingram with one of their first three picks in next year's draft. And if Kyle says maybe again, I'm going to lose my chicken over it. Josh, you got to tweet me and let me know what I said maybe on and uh, let you down last time. Uh, (laughs) I like it. Listen, this is a great year to need a big back, a quote-unquote big back, right? A hammer-style back, a downhill guy. You got guys like J.K. Dobbins. You got Jonathan Taylor, not that he's going to be there uh, when when the Saints are, are picking because they're probably not going to take him in the first round. They don't have a second-round pick right now because they traded it to Miami for Eric McCoy. I think J.K. Dobbins, I think, would be a great fit. And uh, I was really rooting for Divine and Zigbo to materialize there for the Saints. Uh, an undrafted back out of Nebraska had a great final senior season. Uh, when undrafted, did not make the team. But I think there is a need there to have a physical runner downhill. So sign me up. You know, that this is the kind of roster that can afford, quote unquote, luxury picks like running backs early because they're they're in their win now window right now. The respected madman. It's a program that should be better than this. Is this talking about Michigan? Yep. They barely have first round talent in their best years, yet it's built like they're even with Ohio State, a football factory. Michigan is going nowhere until that ter- talent disparity is solved. That's really interesting because I think if there's one thing I thought Harbaugh could do, it was recruit. Like, I feel like they have a lot of money and resources. Ah, they were 22nd. Wait, they were 22nd in 2018. 
I'm going to look into this. 2017, they were fifth. 2016, they were eighth. Wheels 2019, they were the bus eighth. is what you're telling me. No, 2019, they, they were first in the Big Ten last year. In 19? How the. That's 18 not was possible. Bad. 18 class, or class was bad. They were fifth in the nation in 17, second in the Big Ten, eighth in the nation in 2016, second in the Big Ten. So he's recruiting fine. Oh, they were bad in 2015, 37th. What is up with these swings? It could have something to do with scholarships available. Um, I think the more I think about Michigan football, uh, who, who's done anything there since Bo Beckler? I mean, maybe this just is what Michigan is. Maybe Michigan's just a little bit better version of Iowa. And nobody wants to hear that because of the money behind this program and all that type of stuff. But, I mean, they they need something to take this team over the edge, whether that's a, a big-time recruit like a Trevor Lawrence. Maybe it's finding that next Lincoln Riley, Dabo Swinney-type coach. But I feel like they've plateaued with Harbaugh, and he's done nothing but prove that he's not going to come through in these big moments, these big games. They never have. It's not going to change because he's had enough talent there to get it done. Eventually, it's a coaching thing. I thought Josh Gaddis was going to save that. But Harbaugh can't get out of his own way. So it's going to be difficult, right? He loves the university, all those types of things. But this team has to find its next X factor. And I think that comes from you got to get ahead of the of – the, uh, the who the next Dabo Swinney or Lincoln Riley type coaches. You know, Otherwise, what the, you, know, you know what the problem is here? What? They're just Miami Hurricanes North. Whew. Really? That's all this program. Listen, the Miami Hurricanes were a dynasty in the 80s and early 90s. In 80s and late 90s, right? Yeah. Then they lost the title game to Ohio State in 2003, and they never really recovered as a program. Miami struggles to compete in the state of Florida with national powerhouse programs that come in and and pluck five-star recruits. University of Florida, uh, you're starting to see the rise of some of the secondary schools in Florida, uh, attracting some, some decent level of talent. They haven't been able to attract that X factor, like you said. Michigan is in the similar shoes, just a different area of the country where you know, Ohio State can go into Michigan and take good players if they want to. And until you get that coach with that charisma, programs fall off all the time. Like Colorado used to be a great college football program. Nebraska used to be a powerhouse. Tennessee used to be a powerhouse. These schools just aren't bouncing back. And just because, you know, you you have this great rivalry with Ohio State, who's nationally relevant every year. Uh, Michigan, I think, is much closer to being a Nebraska and a Miami than they are to being Ohio State again. Oof. I don't disagree with you. They got to find that next guy, that next big-time guy. Good luck. All right, Scotty Emery says, uh, not at all ready to give up on Mitch Trubisky, but I've been thinking – if the Bears had a backup with a fairly extensive starting experience like a Tyrod Taylor, Trevor Senium, or a Case Keenum, do you think Matt Nagy is as apologetic for Mitch? I, I do, uh, because let's face it, there Nagy came in there to uh, elevate Mitch Trubisky, and that franchise and organization is committed to Mitch Trubisky. 
so I do think no matter what the situation was with a backup, they're going to protect their guy in Mitch. And I thought, you know, yesterday's game against Washington started slow, but I thought he turned the corner a little bit. They need to build his confidence back up a little bit. And uh, the, you you only accomplish that by being apologetic for him when he's struggling. Well, they have Chase Daniel as their backup, who has just been like, he's been in the league 11 years. He started four games, made $34 million in the NFL. But for some reason, everybody wants this guy to be their backup. Right. Like what? That's one of the most confusing things. He's not even been like good in preseason. I don't know. It's a good question. Take from Charlie Gross. Yeah. Filling inside a birthday cake is awful. I mean, this is interesting. Like, if there's, like, more of the same icing that exists on the outside of the cake, like, like in between, like, layers of the cake, I'm here for that. Some talking about, like, fruit fillings and stuff. Not all of it. Awful strong. Awful is a strong word. I'll say that I disagree here. I can't, Kyle, I know you haven't had cake in 15 years, so do you I'm have anything to say? I'm a guy, honestly. So then you probably strongly disagree with the take. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see a problem with filling inside. Yeah. All right, we disagree here. Our last one here comes from Nolan, and he says, this shit is gold. And he's referring to the Mike Leach video, which I'm sure you saw, where Mike Leach was asked which Pac-12 mascot would win in a battle, and his answer was simply outstanding. Uh Kyle, any any takes on Mike Gold, uh, Mike Leach's rant or there or more importantly, which mascot in the Pac-12 would win in a uh, a battle? I'm in trouble here. Okay, because I didn't see the video. Oh no! Well, yeah. <laughs> here's what you need to know: it's Mike Leach rambled for a couple minutes about the hypotheticals if they were all in a battle, who would win between the just Pac-12 like are we locking them in Thunderdome and letting them go to town on each other? Yeah. All right. So let's read through them real quick. Yeah. I got them up. We have a Trojan. Yeah. So a, uh, a person with a sword and a shield. Mm-hmm. We have a UCLA Bruin. So a grizzly bear. We have a buffalo. We have a wildcat. A ute. Is that like a, a native... That's um, Mike Leach described it as some type of a man. And he, so with the Trojans and the Utes, he was very concerned about what weaponry they had with them. Right. So, as he should be. Right. Uh, a sun devil. Yeah. And he, he went off on that a little bit too, like mystical, mystical type thing. Like he was unsure of its potential. Uh, another bear in Cal. Yeah. An organ duck, <laughs> a beaver, <laughs> a husky, a cougar, and a tree. Buffalo. Don't forget about the Colorado Buffaloes. I said the Buffaloes. Oh, well, he was very high on the Buffalo. He was very high on the Buffaloes. No, the answer here is the tree. He hit what? Really? Uh, how do you, what are all the wild animals going to team up and chop down the tree? Sure. No, 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 no. I can't, I can't deal with this right now. You're going to stand for this, the tree. <laughs> the Stanford, the tree's going to win. Because no. the animal the, the animals will kill the people. Oh wow. If Mike Leach didn't disappoint, you could not have further disappointed with your response. The animals are gonna are gonna kill the Trojan and the Ute, and then you're gonna have an intelligence level that's not gonna be able to outlive or outlast the tree. The answer is the tree. This is remarkable. 
Unless it's the beaver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, are they going to coordinate? Listen. Hey, Oregon State, go chop down the tree. The rest of us are going to knock out the well, that, That's what beaver do. Okay, well, that's a good point. The first thing that happens in this battle is that beaver's going for the tree. The no. first thing that happens. He's going for his, his little hole, and he's going to hide. Nah, dude. Beavers are the most destructive animals on the planet. It's like a proven are- fact. So you have to hope that the beaver just like crawls in his hole and then waits and then like the last two other things standing kill each other simultaneously. So it's just the beaver versus the tree. Nobody's going to be concerned with that beaver, right? You get all these things mixed together. You've got cougars, wildcats, you've got bears, you got people. You think the beaver's going to be on anyone's mind? No. Listen, in this Hunger Games style approach, uh, I just don't, I don't think you're going to take any KO for granted. That's like saying, well, the duck's just going to sit out in the water and nobody's going to care that he's there. Well, except for they know it's a battle royale and everything has to die. Then why does it take to stock off the beaver? Because I got a bear coming at me, Kyle. What about a cougar? You know, cougar's going to be more apt to go for something smaller than it. Right. That would be the biggest threat to the beaver. I'm not standing for the beaver or the tree. It's the bear. I, if I were going to go off simple logic, I would agree that the bear, one of the bears between UCLA and Cal probably has the best chance to win. You're just counting on this tree, just standing there in the middle of this field. Like, oh, no one's going to touch it. Nobody's going to take the time to chop down a tree in a, in a Hunger Games battle royale. I'm sorry. They're not. And that beaver will not last long enough to chop it down after everybody else is gone. He will be dead before the opportunity comes to chew down an entire tree. How big is a tree? It's like an, a California redwood. You see how big some of those things are? They're big. Yep. Try and tell me. Try and tell me a beaver's going to have time to take that thing down in a, in a fight to the death. Uh, what if everything? Uh, you know, what if it's the tree and the beaver last two standing? You're counting on somebody picking off that beaver right off the bat. Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. Interesting. There you have it, folks. Why don't you let us know who you think wins the Pac-12 Battle Royale? We probably overlooked the Sun Devil, which probably could have turned it down. If well, it has we don't, we don't know it what it can do. We just don't know what the Sun Devil can yeah, do. Yeah, so that's that's the big wild card. I don't know. But you know, I'm with the knowledge that I have, I'm making the best. It's just like the draft. You have to make the best decision and prognostication that you can based on all the information you have access to. And all the information tells me the tree will be the last thing standing. Come back, see us tomorrow again for draft dude says, thanks as always for carving out some time. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of takes on takes. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.